I think this is a pretty universal uh, dynamic. I was thinking about this in relation to the passage we'll talk about today. But the idea of when was a time that you realized what's an example of a time that you realized your parents didn't get you? Like they didn't they think you had grown, but they were still looking at you as who they used to know. Mm. So I think my um, my answer kind of comes in the fullness of, of um, both my parents and my my siblings. So when I got married, I had just I had just turned 21 when I got married and all my siblings, they lived far away. And so they came back and um, there was this deep sense in me that I wanted them to see like, oh, Connor's grown up now. Connor has got it all figured out. And he's getting married to somebody who's much more attractive than him. He way outkicked his coverage. Um, he, he's mature. He's providing for himself. In fact, just a quick humble brag. Out of all my siblings, I was the first one to n- not need anything from my parents. I, I got off the family dole quicker than any of my siblings. So, you know, take that. Um, <laughs> but I, I, but like that was a legitimate thing that I was like, I, yeah. I wanted them to see, see me as like I'm a provider. I'm, I'm this initiator. I am not, I am not who I was. I'm not, you know, some dumb, you know, dumb kid continually making mistakes. And I remember when they came, they came home, they weren't like treating me like, oh, you know, little old Connor with his bowl cut. But there was this sense of like, they didn't know me. Like they didn't understand like, hey, you've been gone. You've, you've been away. You've gone off for jobs and for college. And I've been here and I've grown and things have happened to me and I've experienced things. And I'm taking on this new dynamic and, and I am just, I'm, I'm a different person than who you left and who you grew up with. And this is always the case with family, right? Like if you don't see family for a long time, you know, you feel like you're just this completely different person. And then like your family has a certain picture of you and it almost draws you back in, um, draws you back in to who they think, who you used to be, who, who they used to think you were. Uh, and so that was a really fascinating thing for me, especially because they were, the, they were here for my wedding and then they were gone within a few days. So it was just like this quick little blip. And there were so many other emotions happening at that time. But I just remember this feeling afterwards of like complete marital bliss. Um, just, man, so thankful. It was an amazing, amazing weekend. And still kind of going like, they made those jokes. They, they kind of talked talked to me like they used to talk to me when I was like 14 years old. Um, and so, man, that was, that, was, that was the time that I don't even think at the moment I realized that it impacted me as much. That's I, I feel like we could do a whole run on what amazes and perplexes us about parent child relationship. I think for me, I I'm a pleaser, especially in my family. That was my role. Go go along, get along, you know. So this was later. I was it was before I got married. Um, I I think I was halfway through my experience of living in Ecuador. I lived there about a, about nine months, and I was back home, and. Uh, I was making some comment about something and my mom just got so mad at me and how I didn't like America anymore and how I, I would sometimes say things in Spanish and it was so disrespectful and, you know, mm. and uh, I think I need some counseling. I'm just thinking about it right now. But anyway. Um, I know a good one. Really? <laughs> I was talking about you, but. Oh, dang it. <laughs> um, but the, uh, but, but that, that was a moment where it hit me. I got mad at first and then I remember thinking. Oh yeah, this she she doesn't see the world through my eyes anymore. Like like when I was younger, she defined how I saw the world, you yeah. know, to to a large degree. And then as I aged, um, I still you know would seek her. I lived with her the majority of growing up when my parents divorced, and so 
And so it was just a stark, I could look back and see other points, but that was a really clear picture. I can still, I I know what road we were driving on and Mm -hmm. what car we were in and this kind of thing. And it just was really, uh, it it hurt me, disappointed me, but then it kind of liberated me. It kind of made me feel like, oh yeah, this is, I, I don't, I don't seek her. I don't have to seek her validation over who I am, but it was such a jumble. I'm not suggesting I thought of that clearly most. I was like, I can't wait to get out of this car. So, <laughs> uh, man, that's really fascinating. I think later on we'll maybe draw on this, this question, but I, later on, I want, I want you to talk about, um, you have children who are almost at that age where they're going to leave and they're going to experience and they're going to have the same sort of thing. And so I want to kind of probe a little bit deeper on how, now that you're on the other end, how you're going to process it and how you're already kind of preparing for it. But We'll get to that a little bit later on. So, hello, my name is Connor. And I'm Jason. And you are listening to the Amazed and Perplexed Podcast. So today uh, we're going to be focusing on uh, a very unique parent to child and, and family child uh, context in Matthew 12, beginning in verse 46. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. I love that redundancy. It just cracks me (laughs) up. I was like, do we need that? Anyway, he replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So, with that in mind, and I do want to say, at the end of this chapter, that's a chapter break, you go in, and then it says, that same day Jesus went out to the house, but no more mentioned. So, mm-hmm. in, in Matthew's telling here, there's no even sense of resolution. It's just like, that ends that that dynamic. So, with yeah. all that in mind, what amazes you about that, Connor? I think what amazes me is the reality that we are not defined by or maybe the better term is stuck in where we where we come from um i mean this is this isn't necessarily just a christian thing but i think it's so important that we talk about um as as jesus people that we are not we're not beholden to we are not defined by uh, we don't have to be defined by our upbringing or um, the environment we came up in or even who in fact raised us and and i think you know i think there's some people like like for my for my wife who had a very healthy dynamic who had a very amazing awesome family um maybe that doesn't hit the same sort of way maybe it does i'll have to ask her but but i think for me who man really struggled with um with family relationships and and the brokenness that that was there it's just this this continual reminder um that jesus isn't Jesus isn't focused on where I came from. Um, and my family is, is not just defined by who I share blood with, but by who, but by the common ideals and the common beliefs and the common way of doing life. And and that's just for the actually, you know, it's pretty crazy for the vast majority of human history. That's a pretty crazy idea. Um, it's not as crazy now in 21st century America, uh, but Man, it, it it's just it's very life giving for me. I like that. I like that life giving. I, I think that's it's life giving to me, but in a different way. What amazes me about this is, 
And it really makes me like happy, like giddy. Mm-hmm. Jesus had a lot of trouble with his family. I'm like, <laughs> that's awesome. It, it amazes me that he had trouble with his family. And mm-hmm. and it, it goes against the grain of, well, if you just had more faith, this would work out for you. Yeah. You ever heard that? If you're just closer to Jesus, this this would just, just work out. Just read your Bible a little bit more. Yeah, everything's going to work out. A little bit more. Here Jesus is, the prayingest guy. We have to assume <laughs> that the most the most well-studied person, he was literally the word of God, and he has family struggles. That's good. And that that is so, I'm so happy about that. That's so, oh, that, that's, that's so beautiful. And the fact that he, he is this person and there's not the immediate comprehension by his family. There's not this immediate recognition and this immediate like buy-in in the process. I think it's so humbling for us because I think we have this, I think we have a, a lot of us have this mindset of like, if I can get you, Jason, to understand my perspective on things. Like I experienced Jesus in this particular way. I experienced Jesus in this way. And if you'll just come alongside and copy my steps, then it's going to work, work out for you. And, and the fact that this isn't the case, I mean, it, it is pretty incredible. So for, for somebody like you, who, you know, you've had family struggles in the past, um, you talk about this being kind of, I don't know if you said, yeah, you said it being life-giving. Um, why, why is that so life-giving? Why does it mean so much to you? I think there's, I've hung out with a lot of people. I, I've just had a real privilege. During COVID, you terrible person. I've hung out with a lot of people. <laughs> Let me say, pre-2020, I had the privilege of hanging out with a lot of people that really wanted to be closer to Christ. Mm-hmm. And this is even in very fundamental context, where it's very, hey, are we doing the rules here was the only real question. But they really wanted to be closer to Jesus. The downside of that is, then they felt this strong tension if things weren't going well, specifically with their family. Almost... If I can't get it right with my family, then what kind of witness am I to God's love and grace and power and transformative uh, resurrection might in me if I can't even get my relationship with my parents right, my my siblings right, my wife right, my kids right? You know, it's just a lot of guilt. And it's funny because the devil works it. It's like, he's like, will you feel general guilt over all your sin? No. Okay. How about guilt over this? No. Well, how about guilt over this? He just keeps drilling, you know, because he'll find a way to make you feel guilty. And guilt is good. I want to be very clear. Guilt is the the check engine light on the dashboard to say, turn back to God, Mm -hmm. you know, but he uses it uh, as, as an oppressive tool to say, pull away from God. Yeah. So the analogy kind of going further along is a lot of us, we see the check engine light come on and we just ignore it. We're just going to pretend like it's not there because I don't have the money to get. I don't think I have the money to get fixed. What what am I going to do if I actually like if I actually go and find out the problem, then like it's going to be much more. It's going to be much more on my mind. Um, and a lot of times as Christians, we like, we don't realize, and this is such a cheesy metaphor. I'm going to hate myself when I edit this. Cause it's going to sound so cheesy. It's going to sound so like early 2000s youth ministry, but like when Jesus, when we, when we get, we're going to really have to rebuild my respect <laughs> for you after this. So you, when, when, go ahead. When we get saved, it, it is like Jesus. Oh gosh. It's like Jesus giving us like a new car or just completely <laughs> fixing it and making it completely okay. And it's this. And it's this reality of when we see, like, it's like phantom seeing the check engine light. Of uh, it, it's not like once we get saved, we, we can we never have guilt and we never have to turn away from sin. But it is that like, it, it's those flickers of, of the past. In fact, I think I had that same sort of thing. Like I had a I had a really crappy car, a nineteen ninety five Chevy Lumina. It was my grandmother's car, um, and it, I just it had a particular smell to it, and it, it just it really it really wanted to break down all of the time. And eventually, it did. And when I got a new car, like we when I went from a nineteen ninety five Chevy Lumina to I bought in two thousand sixteen, I bought a 
2015 car and it was like it was the most amazing thing mm -hmm. i'd ever experienced in my future. entire life yeah it was the future yeah. and don't be wrong it was like the cheapest it was a, it was a nissan versa note which is like the cheapest new like newish car you can buy uh but for me it was like it was just this amazing experience because i'm like there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it but there was this sense in the back of my mind of like well let me try to listen a little bit closer. Let me like, is it, is it really there? Is, is everything really working out okay? Now, sometimes, you know, this is where the car analogy dies and a horrible, horrible death because sometimes you get, you know, um, played over by a salesperson. But I, I do think, I, I do think there is, there's this constant struggle in the continuum of, am I living? And we talked about this a little bit before we started recording. Am I living, um, am I living in the guilt or am I using the guilt for how God intended it, which is a method of turning back. Right, yeah, because he can fix it in a snap. I mean, he that was a good snap. I need to acknowledge that. But yeah, he, <laughs> he can fix that so quickly. Mm -hmm. And whereas what we tend to do is we ignore it because we're scared he won't, because mm -hmm. he'll be, it will have, we'll get this big lecture, and he's like, didn't I give you that in baptism? Come on now. You know what I mean? Which is the opposite of the way he presents his relationship. Or two, we pull the car over and we start beating with a sledgehammer. Yeah. You know, I'm so stupid. I'm so bad. I'll never be enough. But back to the family dynamic, kind of tying this back in, uh, it's liberating to me. It's life-giving to me to realize that Jesus had a super healthy relationship with God and his family didn't get him. Mm. And because you could flip that because we want to give Jesus the benefit of the doubt because he's Jesus, yeah. that it's like, well, it must be all on them. But if it happens with us, if I'm doing the right thing, the best of my ability, if I'm praying for them, if I'm trying to speak life, if I'm if I'm loving them and they don't respond well and there's still tension, mm -hmm. I say to myself, well, I must not love them well enough. Well, then you have to ex apply that same thing to Jesus. No, that's good. Are we willing to say, well, Jesus didn't love his mother and brothers enough? Or else they would have been on board. Other versions, not versions, other other uh, gospels stories, yeah. present it like he's crazy. Like they're saying, he, they think he's lost his mind. Yeah, like they have to have a family intervention. Exactly. And I, and I think this is the thing, is that now I'm, you can go the other way on the pendulum and say, well, it's all their fault. It's not my fault at all. You have to be honest and ask yourself, am I doing the most loving thing? But we have to put into the big mix... That and this is where Romans twelve eighteen shows up. If at all possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. Mm -hmm. And I think, and we can use that as as a cop out, you know. But I also think it's legitimate that Jesus. We have to assume Jesus was loving to his to his mom, his brothers. He wanted to explain his purposes, and they were close to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think for so many people who have experienced rejection. Um, but whatever, whatever it was from their family, whether it was rejection of the, of their identity, whatever it was found in, or if it was their faith, I think, I, I think there, I, I doubt there's a single person listening to this that is, uh, obtuse enough to claim that they have perfect relationships everywhere. Um, and I think you talking about that is, is setting something in my mind that I realized that maybe I've been carrying around a little bit of guilt and a little bit of weight because I don't have a hundred percent perfect relationships like i had this idea if i was doing it right if i was doing it perfect that things would be things would be better and i think this is just so liberating um just in this moment for me right now because i i am a constant analyzer and i'm the kind of person that wakes up at three in the morning well most times it's, uh, i gotta work through the morning so i wake up at like midnight and i have this memory of like oh i there's this separation in, in relationship with this other person. If I had said this differently, if I had done this differently and that could be true, but that's not for me to carry around. That's that, that is not for me 
to spend the rest of my life holding on my shoulders. So Jason, what perplexes you? This is true of a lot of things that Jesus says something in one context, and then he does something like, how does that work? Mm-hmm. Imagine your... So this does not nullify what amazes me about it. It just completely perplexes me of how to apply this. It's one thing for Jesus to say, man, bless my mom and brother's heart. They are really coming along. But it's just hard. It's hard for them. I really want to honor them trying. I especially my mom. I really want to honor my mom because, you know, the Bible says, and I want a good long life. And, well, he doesn't get a good long life. Anyway, <laughs> that. anyway but, but it's, it's like. I'm like, oh, sorry. I, I, just, I can't wait to one day for, for I hope, I hope that like we all can like be with Jesus and just, you can hear that roast that you just, like, oh gosh. Anyway. That was awesome. Maybe that's what it is. He did not. Anyway, sorry. That was on the edge of blasphemy, but here we go. Uh, what perplexes me is how blunt he is. Like, like, and, and I don't want to give, make his words too ugly, but really, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Mm-hmm. And the answer is, well, those, they're out there, like we just said. And he says, here are my mother and my brothers. So from a, from, a, from a spiritual connection point, so this goes to what amazes you. And I think it's true. He's saying, there is something much higher. For me, I would know this would get back to my mom. Okay? Mm. Like, I, I know all the time what I say. Well, even though You're she lives a like phone call. four states away, she's... She's usually pretty kind about it, but I I just, I usually, I have learned to nullify it. Like, mom, if you're listening, I don't say anything to anybody about you because I don't want it to get back mm-hmm. to you. Now, see, even that, I'm like, is that dishonoring? To my point is this doesn't drip of being loving. It, it, it drips of being loving to to the, to God. I think it really honors God. And I think it honors the the reality of this new family because th- that's the other thing we tend to take Christianity and say what are the principles I'm going to add it to my life and Jesus is like no this is not what this is about this is about giving up what you think is your real life and not taking on principles taking on this relationship with me which redefines everything and that's what he's saying here and I honor that and it's truth and I'm not dishonoring Jesus at all simultaneously if I said that in an audience who were connected to my mom and my brothers how hurtful would that be not to offer a little more nuance, say, you know, those are my biological mother and brothers, and I love them, but I also want to acknowledge you're also. But he just, to me, it just dis, who are my mother? I mean, he starts this. Sure. He doesn't say, but these also are my mother. No, it's like, who are they? No, nobody comes in and says, hey, your your mother and your brothers are out there. What do you think about your mother and brothers? It's it's something that he initiates. Exactly. That's yeah. that's That's the way to put it right there, is he initiates this dishonoring to me and and i don't know and and this applies more to family it's i but i find myself in situations where okay what's the most loving thing to say to this group and this is the key to where i think they're at so if i have a belief about i've I've preached many times to groups of people that if you say the holy spirit is working in my life they'll be offended so what i will say is i will say you know i believe god is real and god works in our life and his spirit is powerful in our life they'll be like Good. Why? Because I chose not to say the Holy Spirit is working my life. Now they can listen. And that's a, that's a basically, I don't have to call it a rule of mine, but it's just basically how I, I speak because I'm always considering where are they at right now, which sometimes really robs me of saying challenging things. 
But in terms of applying this, man, that, I'm really hard pressed to apply. How is he still honoring his mom, or, or more generally, how is he loving? He's he's taking away basically. Like if you flip it and say they're not my mother and brothers because they don't do these these beautiful and awesome things. They don't do them, so they're out. Yeah, I think even while we're talking about this, I have I have some deep anxiety because I know. Well, I know some of my family have listened to them, has have do listen to the podcast and, and do listen to the episodes. I don't know how caught up they are. So if it's like five months from now when they finally listen to this and I'm like, I listen, that was five months ago. That was before I had a kid. Don't yeah. you know, don't don't even think I was a child. I was a, I was a child. <laughs> I've grown up so much. No, but I, I do think there is something very real for me that I go like it, it's hard for me. Like, I'll, I'll say this, and and this is hard for me to say. I'm going to try to be as vulnerable as possible. Like, I know that my dad has listened to some of these episodes that he might hear this very episode. And I've had a broken relationship with him. I, You know, we went a good few years without speaking until recently. And it feels like there's a, there's a feeling inside of my heart that, like, I don't want to hurt. I don't want to hurt my dad. I don't hurt any of my family by saying something like Jason has been a father figure to me or um, Hannah's dad has been a father figure to me um, or even even for my brothers. I, I have a best friend I've known since I was four years old. I mean, just he, he's he's my brother. He certainly doesn't listen to this because he just he didn't have time. You know, he's 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 a dumb 25 year old. You know how we all are. Um, no, but I mean, we're, we're 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 brothers. And even saying that there's almost a sense of like, am I discounting am mm-hmm. I discounting West St. David? Am I discounting my older brothers? Um, and yeah, it, it's there. I think we talked about this off mic before. We have such a desire for qualifications. Um, and I think maybe as we progress further into the into the 2020s i wonder if that's going to become a bigger obstacle than we think when we tell people about jesus is the fact that jesus jesus isn't qualifying most of the things that he says he says it he's, he, he says the truth and he leaves us to work out the implications and what well, doesn't he leaves us to process what he said he doesn't a lot of times he doesn't coddle us and walk walk or walk alongside of us so what perplexes me you, you, you got that? Right? I was going to say, so what perplexes you? I'll go for it. <laughs> so uh, what perplexes me is more of a, of a question. And I think um, I, I it's kind of a softball for me because I think I know what we both think, think about this is I feel like the American church is so caught up in the family, right? If you're not like around um you know corporate church and and cor- like the organization of church so much of what churches do is built around getting getting the family unit in so like you know one of the main steps is you got to have an awesome children's program then you also have to have an amazing youth program and then you got to have your marriage classes and you got to have your you know how to be a man how to be a good husband you know s- saturday morning study and same thing with um with the wife and i, I feel like and this is this is not new ground. We talked about it when we did our episode on marriage. Is that, uh, the question is: Are we too focused on the family? Like, are we like even even you and me, Jason? Are we as 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 family men? I think it's incredibly important to talk about you know how to be good husbands and how to be good fathers. I think I think it's integral to the work that we do. And man, study after study shows how important it is to process these things. But I feel like so much of what the church does is built around the family unit and for you know a religion that is based off of like you know a religion that is based off of one a bit of when we talk about the new testament talking about two single guys basically Mm -hmm. um you know who are the um 
one is the person we build this religion around. The other person is, you know, a, a chief architect or, or I don't know how, however you want to phrase it right. that, that I'm not going to call it a heretic for. Um, they, both these guys are single. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It's just, I, I, I want to do, I want to find out why. So the question is why, why, why is this the case? Yeah, I, I think, okay, so there's a there's a verse that I always go back to, and I didn't notice for the longest time because it was a verse that has historically been used to say homosexuality is wrong. And I'm not making a commentary on homosexuality. I'm just saying a lot of times when you have a verse in the section of an argument, you don't pull out, you don't think about the implications. But at one point it says, I think it's verse 25 of chapter 1 of Romans, where it says they traded the worship of the creator with the worship of created things. And I remember thinking, what's a created thing? And I'm like, I'm like, wow, your possessions. Yeah, that's bad. And I'm like, but they're talking about relationships. So what are my created? Oh, my, I'm created. My wife's created. My marriage is created. My children are created. My, our bonds are created. Everything's created. And do I worship family? And this is the key that we have to, and this is the challenge, because we have to be honest with ourselves. Because, yeah, I would say absolutely it is hard to be single in most churches. I, I just think if you are a single person that has made a commitment to a local congregation and has been doing that year after year, great respect for you because so much is unintentionally oriented to the family. And I have conversations with singles intentionally for them to tell me how I'm messing it up because I'm messing it up all the time because you unintentionally, every illustration is, so you're with your spouse, mm-hmm. so you're with your kids. You know what I mean? And I think those are good illustrations. Sure. But we say, are they 100% of our illustrations? Yeah. For me, they will be because that's my life. How many illustrations or how many stories did Jesus tell that started off like that? Exactly. Yeah, like none. Like, <laughs> you know, he has no almost zero relational. Like you have this brother that won't do the won't do it initially and the brother says he will and da-da-da, you know. Uh, or you've got the – it's always a conflicted family, the prodigal son, things like this. But there's no spousal stories, which that's very interesting. Just even to, huh? Wait, father, I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to think. Is that true? But the point in that is, is yes, we tend to worship, we tend to replace God with His good stuff all the time. And I don't know that we can avoid it. I do think it's like bias. You can't avoid being biased. You just have to be willing to ask yourself, how am I biased? And I think we have to ask ourselves that we're not going to avoid worshiping some things. I worship sometimes my wife. I want her to make me feel the fruit of the Spirit. I want her to give me peace and love and joy. I want my job to give me that. Or I want my relationship with my kids to give me that. God says the only place you're getting that is from the Spirit of God. So if I expect you, one of my very best friends, to give me love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, I am asking you to do a job that God says only he can do. But see, I if I feel any of it when I'm with you or with my spouse or in my job or whatever, then I'll start to worship the tangible because I can put my mind around and sometimes even my hands around the created thing. But the creator is nebulous and big and, and the devil attacks that essence of, is he really trustworthy? Can you really trust him? Is he really going to come through for you? Whereas I know this is my wife. And for a while, it feels good to get peace for my wife until I don't. Yeah, And then I'm really mad at my wife, and I have to be like, oh, it's because I was asking her to provide something only God can do. Mm. No, that's really good. I would recommend if I would recommend stopping this podcast and looking on YouTube um, for the song uh, Voice of God by uh, his name's Dante, P- Dante Bow. 
um, listen to the first four minutes because it's an eleven minute song. You don't need to listen to all eleven minutes, but wow. uh, it's crazy. Uh, but what I love about the song um, is it is he he talks about how he hears the voice of God and different things. You know, he'll compare like he'll talk about here. You know, hear the voice of God. You know, in the busy like New York streets, and I hear the voice of God in the Georgia fields of green. And he, he goes through all these different things, and I think the song is just incredible. Like I would, I would really encourage you to go listen to it. And it's just this constant reminder. Oh yeah. I, I see God in, in so many different things. Um, and the song is so good and so impactful for me because my natural tendency is, Oh, I see, I see God in Jason doing this particular thing. And the way that God is, God wants us to live is he wants us to see that thing in the person that we care about. And then, Oh man, that's, like that's that's God showing me something through this person, and it's this this rebounding effect of of seeing the glory, seeing the love, seeing the joy, seeing the hope, and seeing the peace in somebody, and turning that back towards God. And the natural urge for us that Jason was talking about is to um, is to find it in this person. And and I think how unfair it is. I, I feel like so many um, struggles in my marriage is because I have expectations that my wife, I have certain expectations, unrealistic expectations from our wife. And it's not like, Oh, all my, you know, the best food ever is going to be cooked or, you know, the, you know, all the clothes are going to be clean. And um, yeah, you're not a tyrant. Yeah. I'm not a tyrant, yeah. but I have these expectations that like my wife is going to make me feel a certain kind of way. And if that ever is broken, like, right. Or if my wife and I are frustrated, it feels like there's this intense, like there was a agreement that was was broken between us. You most of the time, you know, me speak, me in my head speaking to my wife, you most of the time give me so much love and happiness and joy and we laugh so much. And then when that's not there, it's almost like a how dare you? Mm -hmm. Like this is what am what am I it's almost like what am I getting out of this now? Like there's there's some sort of um there's a betrayal because even though I know she can't be God, I have put her in the role to where if she doesn't achieve that, then she has somehow failed me and somehow failed our marriage. And that it's just so, it's so evil and so wrong. Right. And I think if you're, if you're considering, I'm talking about all your relationships, your work relationships, your friendship relationships. If, if you're, if you really don't think about the spiritual dynamic between you and the people in your life mm -hmm. and how this concept shows up that you worship, you tend to worship the created over the creator I'm telling you, the devil is doing a good job of blinding you to that. And you might even be saying, but no, my, my boss is a jerk. Yeah, and there's a spiritual component to that, mm -hmm. that the devil is working. And I think, and we could go long into the bad, but it's simply focusing on the good. Man, when I'm around that person, they're so encouraging, this kind of thing. If that doesn't make me think about God and give glory to God, I'm worshiping the person. Because what it does is it liberates that person to be encouraging that moment, but also to be discouraging the next. You know, because I'm not their God and they're not mine. And it's funny because when you talk about this, well, that's ridiculous. I don't think of anybody as my God, you know. But if you're expecting somebody else to provide the fruit of the Spirit to you, you're basically saying they're your God, at least in that capacity. And if you have that unset expectation for this person, then they're they're going to notice that. And they're going to have a burden on them where they feel like they can't, like you said before, they can't be real. They can't be open. They can't be honest. And what's going to happen with that is we are going to actually see less of God. We're going to see less of his, of his goodness in That's that person. Right. And less of the spirit comes through, less yes. of the fruit comes through. And then we feel dissatisfied. And then we turn to God and say, but I'm attending church. And I'm like, but are you attending church because of the way church makes you feel? 
or are you attending church? And I'm not against church making you feel good. I'm certainly not extolling church making you feel bad, but that's really irrelevant. The issue is how does this make me think about God? Like if I watch somebody screw up a sermon so bad, I mean, they are so ill-prepared and they do not deserve to be there taking my time. But I'm like, man, I see that's me and God. That I'm like that all the time. Then that was a successful experience to me. Now, if you're in charge of hiring or firing a preacher, that's another phase of your leadership. But my point is, is we base how, what that music made me feel like. And, what, and I do, I'm not saying we like you. I'm saying we like me. I do this all the time, even in my own preaching. Did that really make me feel, did I have good insight there to have, you know, all that's created stuff. The bottom line is, did this push me towards, and I'm back to back to Luke 12 dynamic, where he talks about just the idea of who are my mothers and brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my mother, is my brother and sister and mother. And I, and, and I think Luke's version, he talks about, here's the word and does it, you know? But it is that idea of what he's saying here is not about how they make me feel, He's saying, how do they feel about God? And and this, if you're not asking yourself good questions like we're talking about, you'll just be, I like that person or don't like this person. Oh, that's not nearly nuanced enough because basically you're giving up control to the devil in that area because he will cause you to like that person to maximize the betrayal or he'll cause you to dislike that person so you stay in this dissatisfaction victim or vindicator dynamic. Anyway, we go deep into that, but it really, he convolutes the whole process. So, um, man, kind of going along with just what you said, that there's a really interesting dynamic here. My daughter, uh, Indigo, is due in almost three weeks. At the time of this release, it'll be less than three weeks that she will be due. She's due on Christmas Day, which is crazy. Uh, which is crazy and cool. And man, Hannah and I are so excited. Uh, we're ready, which I know is, you know, might sound ludicrous to you, but man, we're just, we're ready to meet our daughter and we're ready to experience that. And honestly, for me, as as a somewhat emotionally damaged man, there is the like pressure of like, man, do I, I, I hope I have like, I, I hope I have the emotional reaction that I think I'm going to have that I, I feel like I'm going to have. <laughs> yes. But, but, but still I, I've, here's, here's something that I've been really struggling with recently or my entire life, I'll say this. I've seen so many people, I've had friends and I've had um, family members who they have a baby and that baby becomes literally, I mean, not just the fact that they're keeping this baby alive, but they, they will post about this baby. Everything they talk about is through the lens of this baby. And I'm not saying that's wrong. It's not bad to be really jazzed about your about your kid. Um, but one thing that I, I'm really, I'm, I'm going to try to be intentional about as I, as I kind of enter into fatherhood, knowing that I'm going to get swept along into the, into the magic of it all is, um, is one, I, I don't want to be the person that posts about my child every day because they had an exceptional poop, um, that morning, mm, but, that's unfortunate, <laughs> but no, for, for me, there's this real, like, um, th- there is this, like, as I, as I recognize that I don't know what I'm going to feel and it's going to be completely alien and unique and crazy and amazing. I'm really trying to process um, for after the fact of, of keeping this, this mindset that, that Indigo, our daughter is going to be incredible and amazing. uh, And she's going to get, she's going to make us feel so many different feelings over the course of her life. 
but the joy that we receive from her, the happiness, the excitement that all flows from God. Uh, and if I, it, and it's going to be hard to keep that mindset, but I, I, I'm hopeful that that's going to be the case. And so we talked earlier on the beginning of the episode, um, you know, you're at a different phase of life than I am. It's a shocker. A 50 year old and a 25 year old would have be a different phase of life. Who would it? Who would it be worse for if I was like a 50 year old, 25 year old, or if you were a 50 year old, 25 year old, which would be worse? Anything making me younger is worse. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> so th- th- we talked earlier about how you, how both of us had this experience that when we kind of came of age and we left the nest and we experienced these things and, and we came back to the hometown or to our parents, or to our families, there was this identity crisis. And, and you have children who are about that age who are going to be experiencing that. And so uh, we, we just kind of want to hear your thoughts on how you're processing that, that, coming, that coming time. Yeah, so no matter how much I decry uh, finding my dependence in my family and say you shouldn't do that, you shouldn't do that, you still do, mm-hmm. you know. And so it's a grieving process. I, I feel truly privileged to have the wife I have and the way that she and I have raised our kids and by the grace of God, just that we have a good relationship with our kids, a respectful relationship with the kids. We don't have any – our tensions have diminished as they've aged. Um and certainly how we process our tensions. Um, so I'm really blessed by that. So it's not like, man, I can't wait till they get out of here. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I feel very comfortable for my kids to stay and we have a really productive and, and good relationship in that way. Um, but they're very different people um, than us. And, and it's, it's very engaging conversation and in structure, I can handle engaging con- conversation. If I'm watching TV, I don't want to go dive <laughs> deep into what microaggression I just accidentally shared, you know, yeah. and then trying to see it through my kids' eyes and they will have strong reactions over stuff that I'm like, well, that's not, that's common sense. No, no, we're pushing back on all that now. And, and so it's challenging, but I see that as worthwhile. We, we may have talked about this before, but the, when does parenting become discipling? Mm. And and discipling is a two way street. That's our very first episode of this of the yeah. Amazing Perplexed podcast. Is is that dynamic of discipling in its best is a two way street? You yeah. know where I'm not teaching you about Christ. I'm learning from Christ in your presence, while you're also learning from Christ in my presence. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I think taking that on and recognizing we've done that transition. I'm still parenting and will always be my children's parent. But I'm more invested, and even that fits this verse, even I didn't even think about it till this moment, I'm more invested in discipling them. And how do you think about God in the middle of this? And not, hey, they disagree with my political point of view, or they disagree with my whatever point of view, and thinking, okay, really trying to keep in front of me, how is this about God? How does this encourage them to think about God? And I mean, I am a case study in how not to do it. I could give you hours on, and then I said this, and I thought, oh, we're going to be fighting the next day, or I'm going to be getting the silent treatment for a while. Um, and and there's stuff I still push on, and I think I should, but it doesn't. It's not having good fruit yet. And there's a lot of fear of releasing your children, and how will they be with God? Um, but in general, one of my mentors, Kent Markham, said years ago. He said, "Your kids are borrowed from God for 17 or 18 years." They're God's kids, and they live with you for a while, and you do your best to have the best influence you can on them. Now, whether he lived up to that or not, I can't speak of. He has good kids. I love his kids. I, but that's certainly been my goal, is to 
look, these are God's kids, and I have an influence here, and I want to do the best, and I have to fight getting my identity tied up into, do they like me? Do they agree with me? Do they understand me? Do they still think I'm valid? That, to me, is is an ongoing struggle. I, but you just have to, you'd said this earlier, keeping eternity in mind, it takes it takes a lot. It, it just put things in a very different perspective. So that's my so initial answer. Initial answer. So um, I might leave this part out. I might not. So the 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 line that kind of goes um, that kind of leads from this for me is I think about you. You talked about your moment with your mom and how she was um, kind of she was upset that you know you were you were speaking Spanish. You would you become this completely different. You become a different person. You were doing things mm-hmm. differently than how they were done before. And for her, it was almost this like you're not. I'm not. I don't want to put words, but you're not. You're not the son that I, I remember. You're not the son that I experienced. And so, um, what I wonder, we can make it a uh, fictional, fictional person. Um, but how how does that sort of conversation go? Well, so your kid comes to you and they spout off an opinion or a view on the world that you just go what the heck mm-hmm. like where is that even co- i i raised you like how how is this how is this what you're thinking right um how do you process how does that like in that singular interaction how does that what does success look like for you that's an excellent question yeah so yeah and that happens to me happened and happens um i would say Success first is going to God, even in that millisecond. God, this is this is your kid. You have this kid. Now, I'm not suggesting I always do it, but success, that's your yeah. question, is this is your kid. I want to listen. Tell me more about that. What, 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 do you, what do you mean when you say that? You know, because uh, they're, they're trying to, you know, poke, <laughs> you know what <laughs> sure. I mean, and, and jump on a nerve at times. And so really, really drilling down as best you can to listen the bigger thing, though, is is you're resting in the fact that God's got this child. God loves this child. One of the things I'd add to it is sometimes I'll see pictures around this time of year. You're looking back, and you have Christmas ornaments their pictures. And I realize that kid isn't the same as that kid. I can grieve that I don't have a 3 or 5 or 7 or 12, whatever, your old child, and simultaneously glory in the new person they are. Mm-hmm. But in the same way that I want to become a new person every morning, I want to become new to God and changed— I have to grieve and release who my kids were yesterday. And what, what's challenging is if you've not had, if you're a parent and you haven't had a connection where you're really talking honestly with your kid, then it's very abrupt when they come back from school mm-hmm. and they feel like they've got less to lose. you know. Or maybe it's after they get married or after some point where they sure. feel they can stand on their own. I'm hoping that we've offset that by being really encouraging their honesty from young, including when they're like, I don't even believe in God. I think church is a waste of time. Um, when I fielded those kind of things and trying to, okay, what if they don't believe in God? Yeah. What if they have a very different view on the world than I do? Is God still God? Is he still loving them? Is he still going to reach to them? And then what's my role in that? I just guarantee you, if all they feel is my cold judgment about who they should be, they're not going to find God there. Hmm, and I just, I, I, that's what I have to remind myself of because mostly it's just impatience. I'm like, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You think what you want. I don't even care anymore. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean, kind of thing. That's where my mind goes. But to just be, to know, hey, if, if I allow them to speak honestly to me today, not disrespectfully, I think it's right to say, hey, let's talk to each other kindly. 
But honestly, today, I'm sowing seeds for them to speak honestly to me when they're 30 and 40 and 50. That's and so that's, yeah, that that's how I keep my sanity in the middle. Of <laughs> that's awesome. So it's the perspective of, we talked before about I mean, going to our spouse and expecting them to be this person to provide these feelings. And the same sort of thing can happen with our kids right. is we can go to them because they provided so much joy and excitement and love. And there's been all these crazy experiences that when you feel that betrayal, that's a cue, a signal from God. There's the check engine light of, oh, you've been relying on your kids for mm-hmm. something that you haven't gone to God for. That's brilliant. That's exactly right. Oh, man. I said it was brilliant. You guys hear that? It's amazing. I, I'm emo- You can tell I'm emotionally stunted because I can't take compliments seriously. Thank you for listening to the Amazed and Perplexed podcast. Uh, like I said before in this episode, uh, I do have a, a a child being born. It's going to be a big day for me. It's going to be pretty hard. You know, um, my wife has, has a you know she has a, a role in the day. She has yeah. a role of the day. Uh, but uh, you know, obviously, um, or she could come. You know. A little bit after the due date, she could come before. And so if you don't hear from us for a couple weeks or, you know, maybe a little bit longer, uh, that probably means that, you know, uh, my daughter was born. And that doesn't mean that we just hate each other and we're at each other's throats and we, we said forget it. Um, that That's not the case. The Amazing Perplex podcast will be back. Um, but, yeah, we, we might take a little bit of a hiatus when that happens um, and come back better than ever with the soundtrack of a crying baby in the background, <laughs> which I'm sure that sounds amazing to lots of people. <laughs> uh, so thank you again for listening. Grace, peace, and love. <laughs>